to My Favorite Theorem. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and this is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah. How's it going, How are Evelyn? you today? I'm okay. I'm a little sleepy, you know, and so before I came to Florida, I was at Mississippi State University, and I still have a lot of good friends and colleagues there, and that basketball game last night, I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, that, that last minute shot, last second shot that Notre Dame hit to win was just a crusher. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling bad for my old friends, but uh, but other than yeah. that, everything's great. Nice sunny day. So yeah, yeah, it's great here. So I'm I'm a little uh, I always have trouble getting moving on gray mornings. Well, but you've but... you've got that nice big cup of tea, so you're in good shape, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So today we are pleased to welcome Mike Lawler. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Mike Lawler. I uh, work in the uh, reinsurance division for uh, Berkshire Hathaway, studying. Uh, large reinsurance deals, and uh, I also spend a lot of my spare time uh, doing math activities for kids, actually mostly my own kids. Yeah. yeah. Yours is one of my favorite sites on the internet, actually. I, I, I love watching how you uh, explain really complicated stuff to your kids. How old are they now? They're not terribly old. Uh, they're in eighth grade, eighth grade and sixth grade. Okay. All right. But you've been doing this for quite a while. We started, boy, uh, could have been 2011, maybe even wow. before that. Uh, right. No, I think I, I think all all three of us on <laughs> on the on the podcast today, yeah, probably everybody listening loves math. Um, One hopes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it, I think there's a lot of really exciting math that uh, kids are really interested when they see. Um, so it's fun. It's fun finding things that are in, interesting to mathematicians and uh, trying to figure out ways to share them with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I like you uh, always make videos of the things. And so like listening to your kids talking through what they're thinking, um, it, it's really fun. And I've I, recently I watched one of the old ones and I was like, oh, my goodness, they're just little babies there. They're so much bigger now. It's uh, I don't have kids of my own, so I don't you know have that firsthand look at kids growing up the same way. So uh, it's they're they're sweet kids, though. Yeah, I, I have to say, we the one of the first, it wasn't actually the first one we did, but it's called Family Math One, uh, where we do the famous, uh, how many times can you fold a piece of paper? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're probably four and six at the time, or maybe five and seven. And uh, it's always fun to go back and watch that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see videos of my, my son's now 19, uh, 18, he's off in college, and I see videos of him. Uh, he's a musician, and so when he was, you know, ten, figuring out how to play this little toy accordion, I got him. I, you know, I kind of get a little weepy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's funny. I, I was picking him up somewhere the other day, and uh, I confused him with a twenty-year-old, my older son, and I just thought to myself, "How did this happen?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, enough talking about kids, I guess. So, so Mike, uh, we, we we asked you on to talk about your favorite theorem. So, what is it? Well, I, it's not quite a theorem, but it, it's something that's been very influential to me, not in sharing uh, math with kids, but in my own work. And it, it comes from a, a paper from um, 1995 by a professor uh, named Zvi Bodhi uh, at BU. And he was studying uh, finance and it, uh, continues to study finance. And he published a paper showing that the cost of insurance uh, for long dated uh, for long holdings in the stock market actually increases with time. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, if you want to 
buy insurance to guarantee your investments at least earn the risk-free rate that that cost of insurance goes up over time. And uh, it, it just shocked me when I was uh, when I was just learning about finance, uh, actually when I was in grad school. And it's had a this paper's had a profound influence on me over the last 20 years. So that's that's what I want to talk about today. Okay. I know hardly any of those words. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have my retirement accounts and all that, but like like most good quantitatively minded people, I just ignore them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's let's take a simple example. Okay. Um and um so let's just take the actually the the, the most simple example. Say you had wanted to uh, invest $100 in the stock market. And you thought uh, because you've read or you've heard that you know the stock market uh, gives you good returns, uh, you thought, well, if, in 10 years from now, uh, I think I'll probably have at least $150 in that account. And you said, well, what I want to do is go out and uh, buy some insurance that guarantees me that I, at least I'll have that amount of money in the account. Uh, that's the problem. That's the math problem okay. that uh, Bodie is studying. Right. So, so how does how does one price that insurance policy? I guess so. Right. So on the insurance side, how do they price that correctly? And on the consumer side, how do you know you're getting a worthwhile insurance policy? I guess. Yeah. Well, this this is kind of the fun of applied mathematics. So, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of theory behind this, and uh, I think like a lot of good theories, it's not named after the people who originally discovered it. So right. I think that's an important. Uh, <laughs> that's an important <laughs> <laughs> part of any theory, um, and uh, but then when you when you understand the theory uh, and you actually go into the financial markets, you have to start to ask yourself uh, what parts of the theory apply here and uh, which ones don't. Mm -hmm. So the theory itself goes back to the early 1900s with a French uh, mathematician in his PhD thesis. Um, his last name is uh, Bachelier, and I'm probably butchering that. But then people began to study, um, you know, random processes, and uh, Norbert Wiener studied those, and eventually all of that math came into economics. Uh, I think in the late '60s, early 1970s, and and um, uh, something called the Black-Scholes formula came to exist. Uh, and so the Black-Scholes formula is what people use to price this kind of insurance, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes called options. And so that's been around the financial markets since at least the 19, early 1970s. So let's call it 50 years now. Uh, and if you're a consumer, <laughs> I think you better be careful. <laughs> yeah, well, I find, you know, I don't know a lot about financial math, but I've tried to read a few books about uh, you know, the financial crash, actually, uh, one of which you suggested to me, I think, um, all the devils are here. Um, and I find even with my math background, it, it's very confusing, like what they're pricing and how they're calculating the, how they're batching all of these things. And yeah, it's just, um, it really seems like a black box that you're just kind of hoping what's in the box isn't going to eat you. <laughs> that's a pretty good description um yeah bethany mclean's book all the devils are here is absolutely phenomenal and uh, roger lowenstein's book called when genius failed is also an absolutely phenomenal book um the, you are absolutely right the math is very heavy and a lot of times especially if we're going to talk about the financial crisis the math 
formulas uh, get misused a little bit and, and um, maybe are applied into situations where they might not necessarily apply. Really? Wall Street does that? <laughs> <laughs> you, you really have to be careful. There's, um, I think if you go pull the original Black-Scholes paper, there's, um, I think there's seven or eight assumptions uh, mm. that go into it and say, you know, as long as these seven or eight things are true, then, uh, then we can apply this theory. Mm. Mm-hmm. In theory, we can apply this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So when you go into the financial markets, a lot of times you're going to, you're going to, if you have that checklist of seven things with you, you're going to find maybe not all seven of them are true. Right. In fact, a lot of times maybe you're going to find maybe not a single one of those things is true. Uh, and that, that is, I think, a, a, a problem that a, a lot of mathematicians have uh, when they come into the markets and they just think the, um, the theory applies uh, directly, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, we, we've all taught enough students to know that, that they're not very good at checking assumptions, right? So, <laughs> uh, so if you have to check off a list of six or seven things, you know, after the first couple, you're like, eh, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But maybe maybe that seventh one really matters. Right. <laughs> Or maybe you're in a situation where um, the theory sort of applies 95% of the time, but you're in that now, you're in that 5% situation mm-hmm. where it really mm-hmm. doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so should I buy investment insurance? I mean, I've never directly <laughs> well, done such a thing. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if, if it's an option for me since I just have you know, 401ks, essentially. Well, it's probably not a great idea to give investment advice over a podcast. Uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, from the mathematical point of view, the really interesting thing about Bodhi's paper is Black-Scholes uh, is indeed a very complicated um, mathematical idea. But the thing that Bodhi found was a really natural question to ask about uh, pricing this kind of insurance uh ensuring that your portfolio would grow at the risk-free rate. Mm-hmm. In that situation, uh, and you can see it in Bodhi's paper, the math simplifies tremendously. And I think that is, a, that is a common theme across mathematics. When someone finds exactly the right way to look at a problem, mm. all of a sudden the problem simplifies. And I'm sure that you can probably give me three or four examples in your own fields where mm-hmm. that has that been the case. Sure. Well, I'm not going to, but yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, so something that um, when you told us that this was the the theorem or, or quasi theorem you were going to talk about, um, it got me wondering, like, how much, um, like, the financial world, you know, I've I've been trying to think about how to phrase this question, but but how much your your natural tendencies as mathematicians actually carry over into finance like how much are you able to think about your your work in finance and insurance as um math questions and how much you really have to shift how you're thinking about things to this you know more realistic point of view uh well i, I think it's an i think it's a great question um because you know the the assumptions and and, and a lot of times the mathematical simplifications that allow you to solve these uh, differential equations that stand behind Black Scholes theorem and generally stochastic properties, you know, you're you're that doesn't translate perfectly to the real world, and you have to start asking questions like, is this 
you know, if this estimate's wrong, does it miss high? Does it miss low? Mm. Uh, in the five percent of the times it doesn't work, you know, do I lose all my money? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and so those, you know, I, I can tell you, I uh, as an undergrad, I, I also was a physics major, and I spent a lot of time in the physics lab. Uh, and uh, there's not one single person who was ever in lab with me who misses me. <laughs> I, was, I was a mathematician in the in the labs, right? But you know, doing some of these uh, physics experiments really teaches you that uh, the theory doesn't it, applying the theory directly, even in a lab situation, is very difficult. Right. Right. And your PhD was in. Um like pure math, right? Yeah, yeah. In math, it was sort of mathematical physics. Um, okay. In the late in the late nineties, people were really uh, excited about the Yang Mills equations mm -hmm. and um, right mirror symmetry. Yeah, yeah. Work that um, that Witten, Ed Cyberg and Witten were doing. Um, mm -hmm. So I was I was interested in that. But um, yeah, um, so your background um, is is different from what you're doing now. Oh, totally. You know. I, <laughs> I, uh, it's kind of a hard story for me to tell, but I, I, I really loved math from the time I was in fifth grade all the way up, up through about my third year of graduate school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it can, that and, uh, could be a painful story. Yeah. No, and then some, so I don't know why. I, I really don't know why. I just kind of lost interest in math then. And I, I finished my, my PhD, and I even took an appointment at the University of Minnesota, but I just had lost interest, and it was a, it was an odd feeling because for you know from about fifth grade till uh, what grade is your third year of graduate school? Nineteenth, uh, like nineteenth, nineteenth yeah. <laughs> grade. I I really got out of bed every every morning thinking about math, and uh, and uh, then I just sort of drifted away from it. But my my kids have brought me back into it, so I'm actually really really happy about that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, what have you chosen to to pair with your quasi theorem? We're calling it. Yeah. Well, you know. So for me, I'm, you know, this this paper of Bodie's goes back, uh, and it sort of opened a new world for me. And uh, for the last twenty years, I've been studying more about it and learning more about mm -hmm. it, and uh, all these different things. And it, so I've got to thinking about a journey. Um. That this is, you know, I have book, books on my table right now where I'm talking to you that are, you know, related to this paper. So the journey that uh, I want to highlight is, uh, and I think a lot of people can understand who are outside of math, is an athletic journey. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to bring up uh, a woman named Anna Nazarov, who has represented the United States in uh, on the national ultimate frisbee team, which is a sport I've, I've been around. And four years ago, she made it almost to the, being on the national team and got cut in the last minute mm. and wrote this very powerful essay about her feelings about getting cut and then turned around and worked hard and improved and won three world and national championships in the last four years as a result of that work. Wow. And, you know, it's, it's hard to compare world championships to just your plain old work, but uh, <laughs> I think it, I think people in math understand that you kind of roll up your season over a long period of time. You come to understand mathematics or you come to understand in this case, how, how certain kinds of mathematics apply. And so I want to pair it. I want to pair this with that kind of athletic journey, which I think to the general public, people understand a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I um, played 
ultimate, very recreationally in grad school, there was a math department pickup ultimate game every week. Um, and that was kind of like playing with other math grad students is my speed in ultimate. Um, and uh, I, I kind of, I really miss it when, uh, you know, you, um, I can tell follow ultimate and I often like read the links you post about ultimate Frisbee. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of miss doing that. But a few years ago, I did get to, um, I happened to be in Vancouver at the same time that they were doing the world ultimate uh, championships there and um, got to see a couple games there. And uh, it's really fun. And, and it's been fun to follow the ultimate, like the much uh, higher level than math grad student ultimate uh, playing um, thing through the things you've posted. Yeah. It's, it's, it's neat to follow an amateur sport or, or a, uh, you know, not a, not a, um, not as well known a sport because the players work so hard and they spend so much of their own money to travel and play all over the world. Uh, you know, and I think, I think a lot of people do that with math. They, they, no one, uh, despite the topic of today's conversation, most people aren't going into math for the money. All right. Well, this has been great fun. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. Uh, is, is there anything, uh, we, we, we always like to give our, our guests a chance to, to plug something. We kind of already plugged your, uh, your, your website, but uh, if, if you want to say and a few we'll more include, words about it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll put links to um, your, your blog in the show notes there and your Twitter. Um, but yeah, if there's anything else you want to plug here, and this is the time for it. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's fine. We, um, you know, if you want to follow Mike's math page, um, I, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of fun sharing math with kids and, uh, you know, I said I kind of lost interest in math in grad school, but that the sharing math with kids now is is what gets me out of bed in the morning. So I have a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Mike. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Mann. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at My Favorite Theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.